between that. Huh. <laughs> Maybe Bill was right. Good morning. How's everybody doing? I am super excited to get a chance to come and uh, share what I really feel like God has put on my heart this morning. Um, I actually had something else pretty much prepared, and then I was, I was working on it Wednesday, and I just felt like, and it just wasn't, it just wasn't quite right. You see, I've had this, I'm kind of busy right now, uh, working at Fox Brothers, and I am working part-time here at the church, and I'm going to Cornerstone, and so it's, it's just a really busy season, and when, you know, Four months ago, when Cameron was like, hey, will you teach while I'm gone? I'm like, absolutely. i got four months to prepare. This is going to be great. And so what, what happened was that February ended up being crazy. Um, you know, Cameron's gone. We're working on a room remodel um, where his office was. Um, you know, think, you know, my life is still happening. i got family and the, the kids. And this class that we're in, in Cornerstone is called is Gospel Literature. And it's really good, but it's been a lot of work. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to kill two birds with one stone. I'm preparing this teaching on, or this paper about the, the Sermon on the Mount. So I'll just use that and I'll just kind of, you know, I'll just kind of, you know, talk about the Sermon on the Mount. And I thought this is going to be great. And I was it was pretty much prepared, and I was working on it Wednesday, and I just really felt like the Holy Spirit was like, "What are you doing? What are you doing? You haven't even, you haven't even, you're not even going to ask. You're not even going to ask me what what you what you should talk about." And I was like, "All right." And um, I was a little bit like, I was a little bummed because I'd spent some time on it, but I was like, "What's?" And it, this was this Wednesday, and Herman was like, "Herman was working on the room." Thank, thank you, Herman. You're amazing. You're awesome. Thank you, Herman. And, and so he's like, hey, let's go get some paint. And I'm like, all right. So we went to, went to Lowe's to get some paint. And my, in my head, I was like, when we come back, I'm probably just going to pray for a little bit, and God's going to kind of give me the green light on, on this Sermon on the Mount thing. And uh, so, so we come back, and, I, and I'm just kind of waiting on God. And I just feel like him just give me something completely different, just a, a completely different direction. And so what I want to share with you today is the story of the prodigal son. And probably when you hear a preacher say, I'm going to talk about the story of the prodigal son, you're like, seriously, I've heard this story like 10 million times. There's nothing, I don't need to hear this story again. That's what I would think, so I'm with you. But just bear with me, because I think that God is, I think, kind of um, pulled back another layer of the onion for me. And so it's really good for me. And so it might be good for you. Let's just see. Let's see what happens. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Um, I'm reading from the NIV. Uh, It says, And Jesus continued, There is a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my Fathers, hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. 
I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So he began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so we've probably all heard that story. So good, you know, and there's so much in there. And I, what I feel like God was kind of revealing to me as I, as I read that this last week was that it shows us how to live abundant lives. And as is my custom, I like to use the verse John 10.10 10 in every sermon that I preach because I really feel like it was Jesus' mission statement. This was his purpose, was that in John 10.10 10, it says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and life to the full. You know, this was Jesus' plan. And then in John 15.11, Jesus said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is what God wants for us. This is what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to live full and abundant lives. And I think that the parable shows us three different approaches to living life. And two of them don't bring fulfillment, and one of them does. And in my life, I have done all three, and I think that I can say that you know what, this, the one that works really works good. And so, <laughs> how's that? I really said that. Okay, so the, <laughs> so the first lifestyle that we see in the story of the prodigal son is, of course, the prodigal son. And he just wants to do his own thing. He wants his inheritance. He wants to go just live by his own rules. And so he goes off. He takes the money into some far-off land. It squanders the, his inheritance on prostitutes and drinking. And who knows what he does over there. And, you know, a lot of people get tied up in this lifestyle. You know, for me, it started kind of like in my senior year my my family moved to Kalamazoo my senior year my dad got a, a job as a pastor in a church here in in Kalamazoo and everybody was moving but I was like are you are you kidding me this is I've I've been in that Sigo since fourth grade I don't really want to spend my senior year at Loy Norix no offense to Loy Norix I'm sure it's a fine school but so so my parents 
um, they agreed to let me stay with my, my friend Mark. And I was like, this is fantastic. And so I lived my senior year with my friend Mark. Unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of great, well, it seemed great at the time. It seemed fantastic. There was not a lot of solid parental oversight, not, not any good oversight. They were kind of going through a midlife crisis themselves, and so they were really happy to party with us and have a, have a good time. So in my senior year, I was kind of outside of my parents' house, you know, and just living this kind of prodigal lifestyle, and I really just continued in it, and it got worse and worse just partying until I re- really until I got saved after the, the robbery at Little Caesars that really changed my life and drew me back to God. And as I look back, like there are, there are the times, like the moments of like being at a party and, you know, getting drunk and, you know, like there's some little like, oh, that was pretty fun. But there's these huge amounts of time between those little glimpses that was just, just dark. I, I, I think back and I just, just remember just being exhausted and just being like depressed and just waiting for that next party, waiting for that next drink, you know, waiting for that next kind of adventure because I just thought, you know, that's what's going to satisfy. And so I'd have fun for a little bit and then it just is empty. You know, it's fun for a little bit and then it's just empty and it gets harder and harder to really enjoy. You know, for me, it was harder and harder to have a great time at the party. Like, we start like, Drinking and being depressed, which is way worse than drinking and having fun. <laughs> the kids, kids aren't in here, right? We're good. So, and, and so, so I live this lifestyle, and it just ends up being empty. It's just, it's horrible. And so end up getting saved and come in to get saved here at the church and uh, start serving God here. And about 10 or 12 years ago, I really started living... W- what I kind of consider the, the older son lifestyle. So I'm transitioning from the, the prodigal son. Now I'm showing the lifestyle of the older son. And he was a rule follower. You know, he did what his father wanted him to do. He did, you know, he crossed his T's and dotted his lowercase J's. See, see I did that? And um, I do that kind of stuff and then I distract myself. Um, he followed all the rules. And so, so I get saved. I start coming to the church. Uh, Amber and I get married. And then about 10 or 12 years ago, we take over the, the children's ministry. And we were, I don't know why we did that. We were really excited about taking over the children's ministry. And so we, we go in there and we really kind of revamped things. You know, we, we had all the kids in one room together. And we repainted the room. And Scott Jones built that stage. And Cameron built that thing with the lights that went around it, and uh, we had this whole spaceship theme. We had, like, red jumpers. It's hilarious. I would never do that. <laughs> Don't worry, children's ministry. We're not going, we're not going back there, so it's going to be okay. So, anyway, and so, we, and so we just poured everything that we had in this. We worked really hard because we wanted to see it succeed, you know, but it didn't bring any life to us. It just burned us out. It was just hard because we were doing it all in our own strength. We were just, we were working really hard and we were doing it and we were, you know, we probably, I think we were in there every single Sunday. We were in there and we were just working and trying to, to get stuff done and we got burnt out to the, to the point where I remember in the middle of the night sending Cameron an email and I just want to encourage you, never send emails in the middle of the night. 
just, it's just not a good idea. And so I send this kind of angry email to Cameron, because somehow it's his fault. And, and so we end up having a meeting. If, if you send Cameron an angry email, you'll get, a, you'll get a meeting. If, you, if you're like, man, I really want to get into Cameron's schedule, that, you could do that. So, um, and so we had a meeting, and I was just like, I'm just done. I, just, I actually don't even want to come back here. Like, I just am completely done. And so we, we ended up not leaving, obviously. Here we are. And, but we, we did quit the children's ministry, and we just kind of, uh, we didn't do much of anything for a long time, and it was really just dry. And we were going through the Christian motions. We were still at church. We were still doing stuff. But there was no fulfillment in it. You know, just so, you know, just doing what was expected, living that older son kind of lifestyle, it just didn't, it didn't fulfill. It was lacking. So both of those lifestyles, the partying lifestyle and the hard-working lifestyle, both left me wanting. And so, then we get to the, the third lifestyle that is shown in, in the story of the prodigal son, and that is when the son comes back and is reunited in relationship with his father. And it's, it's in this place when it's not because of what the son had done, because everything the son had done was terrible. Everything was a bad decision. The one good decision he makes is to decide to come back and to be a servant in the house of his father. And so he comes back and his father accepts him. His father, you know, he's, he's not even through his whole speech about how terrible I am and I'm going to be a servant. And the father just embraces him and accepts him home and puts a ring on his finger and they kill the fattened calf and they have a big party. And it's in this relationship with the father that we find real fulfillment. And as you know, I've taught about it here and I talk about it all the time. But a couple years ago, you know, the father really drew me back into relationship with him. Um, I was, you know, just continuing in this. I was pretty dry. I was going through the motions. Um, you know, I love Jesus, but it was, vi- it, was, it was a weird, it was kind of, I was kind of in a weird place. And I ended up, I'm not going to go through the whole story, but I ended up volunteering down at the Iglesia, and God really just revealed his love for me again. And so I started pursuing him, you know, reading my Bible and praying. And just because of God's revelation of his intimate love for me, he drew me back. And it has been the most fulfilling time of my entire life. You know, I've, I've tried living a lot of ways, but this is really where it's at. And I just found that I was just, I was happy, and I was full of life, and I was full of joy. You know, and it just, it worked. Finally, Christianity works. You know, and for, I don't know how many years, 15 years, I was a Christian, but there wasn't, you know, there was something missing. I was, there was no fulfillment in it. I wasn't, you know, passionate. I didn't, I wasn't excited about Jesus, you know. I was, you know, he wasn't meeting my needs, you know, but what I found was that Christianity actually works if we do it the way that Jesus tells us to. Okay? If we really do it the way Jesus describes it and explains it and shows it, you know, it really, really works. And you know, unfortunately, what I kind of wanted was it to kind of meet all of my external needs. But it just didn't. You know, and Jesus doesn't even promise that he's going to meet all of our external needs. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, in 
Matthew 5, he says, um, oh, I got it right now here. It's definitely Matthew 5, 11 through 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so Jesus, in his kind of inaugural message, you know, this is kind of the, the first thing he does. He, you know, he grows up, and then he gets baptized in the Jordan, and he gets tempted for a while, calls some disciples, and then here's the Sermon on the Mount. This is kind of, this is me, this is Jesus, these are my teachings, this is what you can expect. And it's, it's just this radical sermon. It's really, really been amazing, just digging into it. I've had fun. Anyway, and so he's like, if you follow, if you follow me, you can be persecuted and you can be hated and, you know, it's going to be, and people are going to insult you. Like, this is what Jesus promised. You know, and he's like, hey, in, in, in heaven, it's going to be, it's going to be great. There's going to be some awesome external rewards in heaven. But here, not so much. Not so much. But, you know, but it's going to be good. So it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it all, right? And, and so the people in Israel had a different expectation, just like I had a different expectation for what Jesus was going to do in my life. The, the Jews, the, the, the religious leaders of the time, they expected a Messiah that was going to be a military leader, that was going to overthrow the oppression of Rome, and he was going to restore Israel to, in, into autonomy, and we're going to restore the, the temple sacrifices, and it's going to be great. But Jesus comes and doesn't do any of that. You know, he came not to deal with the, the Jewish people's external circumstances, but he came to deal with what was in their hearts. He came to deal with their, their self-righteousness and their hypocrisy and their sin. You know, he came to give them life, but not in, not what they were expecting. Not like, I'm gonna make you rich and I'm gonna, you know, restore Israel. But he's like, I'm gonna deal with the sin that is killing you. You know, he came to give them life, you know, eternal life, not to deal with the external things. And a lot of times, you know, I'm like, oh, we're gonna get, I'm gonna get saved or, you know, and like, I'm going to meet, I'm going get, to get married, and I'm going to get a great job, and I'm going to, like, all these wonderful things are going to help, you know, my parents are going to get back together, and, or whatever it is, like, there's, like, we just have these expectations that Jesus is going to fix all this horrible stuff, and he doesn't always do it. And that can be difficult to understand, that can be difficult to wrestle through, but that, but in the scripture, Jesus never promises to deal with that stuff, not immediately okay he wants to deal with our hearts and he wants a relationship with us because he's like you know what maybe i'm not going to change the circumstance but in relationship i'm going to walk with you through everything that happens i'm never going to leave you alone i'm never going to abandon you it's out of relationship that we are freed from the sin and the death that entangles and ensnares us and just leads us to death he wants us to have life and there is life in Jesus in relationship with him, regardless of our outward circumstances. And just drink of water. Crickets. So I think that Christianity works, you know, if we do it the way Jesus taught and demonstrated. And I'm just going to look at three keys uh, that 
to living the abundant life that we see in Jesus' life. And the first thing, the first key, I believe, is relationship with the Father. You know, and we see Jesus teaching this in the parable of the, the prodigal son that we just talked about, that, you know, that the father accepted the son. He was willing to, to embrace him, not because of what he'd done, not because you know, he was a good person, but because he just wanted relationship with him. He, he loved his son. And even in the, the older son, you know, his older son was just as far away as the younger son. But the father went out to him and said, would you come in? I want relationship with you. And so we see the father just accepting people, not because of where they're at and what they're doing, but in spite of it. And he calls us in, and he wants relationship with us. And we see it demonstrated in Jesus' life throughout the Gospels. In beginning when he starts his ministry, he gets baptized by John in the, the Jordan River. And he comes up out of the river, and the Spirit descends on him like a dove. And we hear a voice of the Father saying, This is my Son whom I love. Jesus' whole ministry was founded in relationship and the affirmation of his Father. And then we'll see, as you read the Gospels, that even though Jesus had a limited time, he had a lot of stuff to do, there was a lot of people to heal, and there were people around all the time, that he would get away, and he would find time to be alone with the Father. And so this, I believe, is just the cornerstone of what our relationship with God needs to be. We need to be have an intimate relationship with God. We need to find time to pursue Him and live for Him. And then, you know, really everything else kind of falls in place. The second key, I believe, is to love the Lord, to put the Lord first. And Jesus taught this in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Um, there is a religious leader asking him, uh, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. You know, and so Jesus teaches that you, know, you first you seek the kingdom of God. You go after the kingdom of God and everything else gets added to you. you know, and we see it demonstrated in Jesus' life by, um, like the song we sang today, you know, Jesus said, you know, I only do what I see the Father doing. You know, he was in complete submission to the Father. He obeyed God. You know, and that is how he demonstrated his love to God. He obeyed him. And he also, in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, you know, God, if you could take this cup, that would be awesome, but not what I will, but your will be done. He was willing to do what the Father told him to do, even leading up to his death and his arrest, his crucifixion. You know, and, and he, was, he was willing to do that because... He was in relationship with God. He knew God. And he sought God above everything else. He wasn't worried about himself more. He wasn't worried about other people more. He just cared about God first. Okay, so that's the second key. Love the Lord. The third key to living the abundant life is loving your neighbor. And Jesus taught this again in that same uh, text in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. He says, love your neighbor as yourself is the... Second, the second commandment is like it, something like that. Anyway, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, and then in John fifteen twelve, Jesus says, "For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many." Like this is what Jesus' focus was. You know, He was in relationship with God. He sought God first, 
And then out of that, he was able to love everybody around him. You know, and we, he demonstrated that in, in John 13, where he washes his disciples' feet. You know, he is willing to serve his, his people, you know, uh, to humiliate himself, really, and become like the lowest person in the house and wash his disciples' feet. He said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give... Uh, no, that's not... For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' focus was on, you know, sacrificing his life. He was ready to lay everything down for his people, for, the, for his disciples. You know, and he died on the cross. You know, he demonstrates love for us in that he literally was hung on a cross and killed for us. Sorry, I was distracted by Anthony. Sorry. I'm sorry. You were distracted. Please don't move. <laughs> wow. When I do stuff like that, I get really distracted. And so... So Jesus, so this is how we have, this is how we um, walk out abundant life. We are in relationship with the Father. We love the Lord first, and we live as servants to, in, in our world, to, the, to our neighbors, you know, to, to our enemies, to everybody. You know, Jesus said, love your enemies, not just the people that you get along with. And, you know, this is how it works, and I've seen it played out in my life. You know, I've seen it work in my life. And, you know, just that, that verse that says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. You know, and it just is, you know, it's just true. And it feels like that's not going to work. You know, it feels like that, you know, we just need to take care of ourselves and we need to, to make sure that we've got, you know, our own needs met. But, in reality, it just doesn't work. I think that that's what the prodigal son and the older son were doing. They were trying to meet their needs, you know, apart from relationship with God. They were trying to find fulfillment in life apart from relationship with the God, and from the apart from relationship with the Father. And it just didn't work. It just doesn't work. And so, my question to you today, as we close, is, you know, do you want this abundant life that Jesus promises? You know, and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, you've been a Christian for a while, but you haven't really seen it impact your life. You've just been like, you know, like I was for years. You just come to church. It's the right thing to do. And you don't really want to go to hell. And so you, you come to church. And, but it just doesn't seem like there doesn't seem to be any life there. Well, I think that, and I don't want to be, come across, I feel like this is going to come across harshly, but maybe you just haven't died to yourself yet. You know, maybe you just haven't said, you know what, there is things in this world that are more important than me. You know, and it's easy. It is super easy to get distracted. You know, I am super, I'm really easily distracted. And like, I, as I was preparing this yesterday, I was like, oh, this is, a, this is a good word. I'm sure that, you know, there's some people that really need this. And I... <laughs> And I realized that, you know, and I, I've talked a lot, like, I spend, I spend every morning with God, you know, and I've, I get up at six in the morning, and I did that for a long time. But when I started school and this other part-time job, I just got really busy. And I just started kind of working out of my own, 
my own power because I was like, you know, I got to get this this paper done and I need to spend time with the family and I need to go to work. And so I ended up staying up later and getting up later. And I was like, well, you know, and I would, I mean, my relationship with God is still way better than it's ever been. But it, I had let, you know, the, the uh, discipline part of it kind of wane. You know, I was like, I kind of let my personal time with God, my relationship with God kind of wane because I knew he was with me. He'd open these doors. I'm doing what he wants me to do. And, you know, it's, you know, Amber's important and the kids are important. And going to school, you know, I feel like that's what God has, has called me to right now. And so, like, all these things are good. And I let what's best just kind of slip to the side. And I didn't even realize it. I, had, I didn't even realize it until literally I'm preparing this. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, I, I've put all this stuff in front of Jesus again. And I'm just like, man, I, you know what, Father? I just repent. I repent that I've just fallen away a little bit. And I just come back. And, of course, the Father's there with open arms. There's no, like, I didn't have to go through, a, you know, a week of repentance and, like, I'm going to try really hard. No, God just brings me right back into relationship. And it's so good. And so... So, yeah, and so it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get our eyes on other things. You know, but Jesus is saying, keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on relationship with me. And then walk out the death that I've called you to. Pick up your cross. The cross, you know, we, you know, we wear it around our necks or whatever. And it's like, oh, he's a Christian. Yay. But it is like, it's a death device. It's like an electric chair. It's like, it's, it's not a happy, easy, fun thing. You know, Jesus was flogged and nails were driven through his arms, driven through his heels and hung up on a cross. Like, this is what he did. And he says, hey, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and let's do it. He's saying, you know, this is what it's going to be like. It's not always going to be fun. It's not always going to be easy. But this is where life is. And so if you're in this place today where you just go, you know, I just need to die to myself. I just need to give my life to Jesus completely because, you know, this, where I'm at right now, isn't working for me. And so I just, you know, after service, there's going to be a, a prayer team and they can pray with you, you know, and maybe it's your day just to come back to the Father because he is ready to accept you with open arms. Amen. That was great. Thank you, Mark. Very good word.